HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome to HRN on Tour. This is Christine Sykes-Low, and today I find myself in the kitchen of Mr. Bill Smith, Chef Bill Smith. I'm in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and uh, we are visiting today. Um, Bill really doesn't need a lot of introduction, but just to go down the line, Bill Smith is the author of two cookbooks, Seasoned in the South and Crabs and Oysters, and has many articles and essays in various magazines and journals. Um, In 2019, he actually retired after 25 years as the head chef of Crook's Corners Restaurant in Chapel Hill. And uh, he has received many nominations several times from the James Beard Foundation for Best Chef of the Southeast and has served for six years on the board of the Southern Foodways Alliance. And actually in 2021, he received the Craig Claiborne Lifetime Achievement Award from that organization. It is really great to see you again. Really? Yeah. And I feel very cozy and at home in your house. Well, it's you. colorful <laughs> and filled with art. And yeah. I really, really appreciate you uh, welcoming me here. Oh, and, no, no. and I and I, and I I just kind of wanted to kind of go down, um, like we, we talked about a little bit before I came here about how you've been retired officially since January 2019. So what have you been up to since then? All right. Well, in, in January of uh, 2019, what, my last day at work was the Crook's Corner Book Prize, which is a, a literary thing that uh, 
Brooks Warner gave every year to a new Southern writer for a novel about the South, set in the South, blah, blah, blah. And so it was, it was sort of like a, a, a there's a little wingding they would throw. The, the, the winner would be, would be invited to Chapel Hill and then all the people on the board and people in the publishing business around here and all that kind of stuff, they'd all come. So that was my last night. That was great. So like the next morning, I got on the plane for Mexico City because I was also turning 70 in a few days. I thought, you need to get out of town. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Between you know retiring and, and turning that turning 70. You know, somebody will do something if you don't. So I went to Mexico for a while. And, then and when I, you say how who, I went to Mexico for a while, you can't skip over that. How long were you there for? Okay, well, uh, I was there for a month, this, okay. uh, uh, which is uh, I have uh, my staff is from well, a lot of those guys were from all over Mexico. So I have friends all over Mexico. Uh, I will go visit them when they've gone back home or I've met their families. And so I was in uh, I was in Oaxaca and then I was in Mexico City and then I was in Guanajuato in the north. So I was all over. I just hop on a bus and start going when I get down there. That I sounds... usually fly into Mexico City and then decide which way I'm going to go. And, and it's really fun. And I love this guy so much. And I, you know, so I just took my time. And, you know, Mexico is so inexpensive. It was like, you know, free almost. So, yeah. Um, anyway, so I did that. And then I came back and um, I did a bunch of fundraisers. I've always, I never, you always have to do all these events when you're a chef, particularly if you have some some notoriety or whatever. And also for, Publicity purposes, you're sort of required to. So in the in the, all those years at Crooks, I would, met all these people and, and made all these connections, and, and so I'm often asked to do things. And so we did fundraisers. Oh, gosh, uh, we did uh, one for an immigration organization in Raleigh, and we did. There's a museum down on Harker's Island that was badly damaged in a hurricane. We did a big big cookout for them to raise money to help them get up and running again. And then what else? I don't know. I was uh, I was in Asheville for Chow Chow, and then I was in. Uh, Palmetto Bluff for Music to Your Mouth. And then I was in um, Atlanta for uh, Oyster South, which is a fundraiser for independent fishermen. And I tried to, and I, uh, we were going to work together, but a hurricane derailed our plan That's for right. Pinehurst. We, <laughs> Pine, it, was, it was that year. It was 19, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, it was. Well, and we knew each other before that. Too. Yes, we yeah, did. We, from, from Highlands. Was that? It was um, actually uh, the first time we got together. I think I knew we, we knew each other before this, but... Uh, it was for the oyster cook-off in Alabama. Oh yes, okay. <laughs> the Alabama see, I, I oyster cook-off. I meet so many people, I can't remember why. And I see a face, and I think, okay, I know that person, and they look, they know me, and why do I know them? And like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, that, that was fun. I, I that, love Johnny Fisher. I love these people. Yeah, that was it. Was fun. Um, we. We had that oyster panel, and we yes. got to we got to judge, uh, or you got to judge a panel, got to judge what kind of oysters were the best. Um, I wish they'd asked me back. I loved that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oysters are never a bad time, no, right? Uh, right? So but anyway, that was stuff like that. I can't remember all of it, but yeah, I mean, you've been busy. I mean, you, okay. Well, the reality was is you were a busy man to begin with. Yeah. I mean, you worked very long hours. You were at on demand, you know, you're a writer. You also obviously ran Crooks Corners, but you were also an advocate. And um, part of that developed, if you could go into a little bit more about how your advocacy for immigrants started. Okay. Well, like I said, a lot of my staff were guys from Mexico and in the 90s in North Carolina, there was nobody to work. And the guys started showing up from Mexico to work. And everybody thought, oh, this is the best thing that's ever happened. These people are great. Don't you have a brother? Call your cousin, blah, blah, blah. So, And then when 9-11 came, there was a switch. And people began to see foreigners as devils, right? And it got worse and worse and worse. And then in 2016, it really went to hell. And um, I just had, uh, by that time, a lot of these people had worked for me for almost you know, 15, 20 years, these families. And I just thought, well, you have to run interference for them any way you can. And... and um, one of the first things uh, it occurred to me to do was they had had children born here who were American citizens. So I wanted to make sure all their 
stuff was in order. We got them. We made sure we had all the birth certificates and baptismal records. And then I, I did a fundraiser to get their all their passports. We got. I think I had seventeen kids uh, from people in my kitchen. And then people were so generous uh, that we fanned out, and I was able to do Cliff's Meat Market and some people down at the brewery. And we so we we, were, we had enough money to spread out. We didn't just have to do our kitchen. Right. And so, uh, but you know, I don't know. It, it was really horrible because they they were saying terrible things about these people, and they were just like. What's going on? I thought we thought you liked us, you know. Like it was, it was awful. It was horrible. So one, the last thing I did, and, and I'm knock on wood, I never had to use this, but I took custody of all those children. <laughs> There's a thing in North Carolina. I can't remember what it's called, but in a sense, in, in, essentially, it's like if something happens to the parents, I could step in before social services got the children. And I thought, please don't. And it never did, thank God. So, <laughs> but yeah, I was, you know, I, I don't worry about anything. You know, I'm just, I haven't worried about anything in years, and I was worried to death all the time, and I hated it. It's just awful. But I, I mean, these these children, <laughs> these families, literally became like family to you. They were, my they were your are. they were your Maybe grandchildren. <laughs> yes, I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm in his kitchen, and I'm seeing his refrigerator covered in uh, photos and uh, hand drawn art from the children. And yeah, near and dear and very close to your heart. Yeah, and I I wasn't trying to be like a you know any kind of hero or anything. It just saying, what am I supposed to do? You know. Well, that's Tell what felt right. Right. No, it's what felt <laughs> no. right. You've been working yeah, with no, these people you know, forever. Just, I'm sorry. I don't care where people come from, frankly, or what color they are, or what church they go to, or any of those things. Don't make any difference to me whatsoever. There are two countries in the world. There's one with jerks and one people who try not to be jerks, right? <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the end of the story as far as I'm concerned. So, <laughs> so anyway, I just, I don't know. It's just, you have to decide you don't care if you get in trouble. I didn't happily, but I could have, I guess. And yeah. you have to just make that decision and then I, then just do well, and then when the pandemic came, they all, everybody got thrown out of work. And um, so then they, nobody could pay rent or anything. So I did another fundraiser and blah, blah, blah. And we, you know, we, people, again, were really generous. And, and um, we pulled everybody through that because they weren't allowed. They were, a lot of them weren't eligible for any kind of public assistance. And those who were had been told by you-know-who that um, people that had green cards that were, took public assistance were in, in danger of losing their, their status. So they were even people who were entitled to it were scared to do it. So yeah. It Don't went. get me started. I've, yeah, already, I've okay. already gotten started. <laughs> well, let's segue to Mexico in okay. general. Mexico, because you started um, some food tours to yeah. the region and, and kind of tell what you have planned or what you've done in the past and what you have yeah, planned going forward. Well, this is new, forward. actually. Um, there's um, a bar down the, down Rosemary Street from here, behind, sort of behind Crook's Corner. It's called Bobar. And, and one of the owners is a woman named Amanda Barr. And her mother, uh, Jane Robinson, like 35 years ago, sort of semi-inherited, semi-bought a hotel in downtown Oaxaca from an aunt. And she just moved there. And she's been running this hotel. It's beautiful. It's like it's little. And it's, uh, it's you know, all the rooms open out to the Central Garden. It's, it's, it's a typical Latin American setup. Anyway, so I've gotten to know Jane over the years just because she comes back and forth. And I, I, when I go to Oaxaca, I always stay there and stuff. And she was up here last year. And she said, you know, why don't we do a food tour? And I said, okay. And we use the hotel as a base. And she's, like I said, she's lived there for 30 years. So she knows weavers and potters and mezcal makers. And she knows all the restaurants and all this kind of stuff. And it's a pretty, you know, beautiful city. And people are so nice there. And uh, so we said, okay, well, let's do one. And so I sort of put on Facebook, who wants, who is interested in this? And we got like a thousand, you know, ah. So. <laughs> Big <laughs> so, response. <laughs> yeah, right. So we ended up having to do two. So we did two 10-day tours in January. And, and Jane... She's my age too, so and she's another old hippie, and so she, she said, "Okay, we're going to do this." But everybody's, if anybody's all whiny, we're not going to do it anymore. But everybody wasn't whiny. It was really fun. So we're doing two more in August, 
So, <laughs> so this coming August, this coming and August are they are there's their spots? Are there spots available? We haven't even set up the date yet. Oh, okay. She's she's going to be here in a couple of weeks because her grandson's here, and she's coming up for his birthday. And we're going to plot then, and then we'll just make the announcement and you know duck and see what happens. <laughs> so, uh, how do people just if there's someone listening, how would they find uh, the information on this? Watch on Facebook is is all I've ever done. I mean, I, I don't think I need to do anything else. Yeah, um, you have a pretty <laughs> good internal crowd. But, yeah, yeah, that, it's um. I think, you know, I actually spent some time in Mexico, um, probably, uh, I think it was around October. Uh-huh. And it was my first time I really spent any significant time you? there. I was um, near Buceris and Sagulita. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 What were you doing? Just... It was just a little um, rest away. I, know, I, I had a friend. <laughs> I had a friend who had a, she was Canadian and uh-huh. she... Um, she invited me to come stay, and uh, it was it was lovely. You just do a sit. It's and, crazy. And it's it like... was it was relaxing, <laughs> yeah. and but it wasn't even it wasn't even about like what you would think of as you know the resortish kind of. It yeah. was just very lovely, and everyone was so friendly. No, everybody's lovely there. It's a... Yeah. And I, a lot of times when I go, I, there, I, there's a city in the state of Guanajuato called Celaya, which is where the bulk of the, my original staff came from. And it's not, I mean, it's, there's no beach or no ruins or anything there. It's just a big, it's like going to Greensboro or something, you know, it's nothing wrong with Greensboro, but it's not a tourist destination, right? But I go there and I just hang out, you know, have a Uh-oh, friend. we're going to have some Greensboro people, man. <laughs> no, no, no. I just said there's nothing wrong with Greensboro. I just, maybe it is a tourist destination. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. I, I, I live so nearby. It doesn't, doesn't strike me. It doesn't occur to me to go look. Maybe I should change my tune. But anyway, so, but the point is that it's just. it's just like a regular town, you know? Yeah. And I have lots of friends there and we just hang out and drink beer, you know, and, and, don't do anything. I mean, yeah, and just it's really, hang out. And, no, yeah. I, and and uh, we're just the best friends. And I just I can't think of anything I'd rather do. I've never been to the beach in Mexico, actually. Now I think about it, because uh, none of my friends live near the ocean. But, oh, yeah, because <laughs> Oaxaca's up in the mountains. You know, there is a beach in that state, but but I didn't go down there. And uh, I go to Mexico City a lot, and that's right in the middle of the country. And that's know. such a cultural destination. Oh, I mean, with art. It's and, un- oh, there's a zillion museums there. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, I just love that place. Well. Um, Sorry. <laughs> so I definitely think that I want to talk about something that maybe you don't talk about a lot, but it has always interested me is uh-huh. that you were one of the original founders of the Cat's Cradle. Right. In 1969. 69 is when the when Marsha Wilson, who was the, the actual foundress, as it were, she was the one that who got a little money when her father died. And um, her brother, Stevie, was sort of a uh, uh, well-known in the club scene in, in the West Village in New York at the time. And she loved that music and stuff, but didn't want to start another club there. So friends told her to come look at college towns in the South. So she went to Charlottesville, she came here. And she ran into some people that she liked here and, and just said, okay, here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so anyway, when when the... We were realizing we were approaching 50 years. We were going, okay. And of course, I couldn't remember when we did it. It was like, we were, <laughs> I mean, I sort of knew when we did it. I knew when we probably did it. But so the, one of the, one of the, um, who, which, I can't remember which one it was. One, one of our city council members went through the records and found the first business license. And it was September of 2019. <laughs> so, uh, and we were in a, a basement, uh, on Rosemary Street, this little tiny basement on Rosemary Street. And then a few years later, we moved down the street to a building that we shared with Dip's Country Kitchen. And I was involved until 1984. And then um, 
then I, that's when I was starting starting to cook, I guess. And um, and then Frank Heath bought it in the next couple of years from David Robert, who had come in um, after Marsha, well, before Marsha died, but actually came in and sort of floated it because we were horrible business people. I can't even tell you. It's a wonder it lasted five minutes. Anyway, <laughs> David kept it going, and then Frank bought it, and then in 2019, we had two weeks of big parties, and all these bands came back from all over, and people came from all over the country, and it was just fabulous. <laughs> well, to those listening who aren't familiar with um, some of the Chapel Hill icons, obviously Crook's Corners is one of them, and and uh, Cat's Cradle oh, yeah. definitely is yeah. one so of it's them. It's actually in Carburn now, but but we, you know we call it Chapelboro because yeah. it's two towns. But it's a little merging. No, yeah, music <laughs> is a huge deal here. You know, it's like uh, there are publishing houses, there are producers, there are recording studios, all kinds of bands. You know, come and go from here. Um, everybody wants to play here now, and uh, you know it's like a cottage industry. I dare say it, it produces quite a lot of tax money for the for the <laughs> local governments at yeah. this point. You know, and all kinds of talented people, and and, it, and it, people come here because of it. I'm, I'm many, I have many friends who, who came here because they had heard of Chapel Hill music and they were interested in music, and they were musicians themselves. They ended up coming here to live. So, but you're, um, I know, at knowing you, it, you're also a huge indie music fan. Yeah, you support that. Um, and during the pandemic, a lot of live music venues were suffering, obviously for they obvious they reasons, did, fact, and yeah. uh, there were some fundraisers and things to keep right. it going with online events. Frank Frank was really good at that. Frank Heath he uh, did a whole bunch. Of, they have really good tech over there, and, and so they were they were sort of set up to do live streams, and they did lots of them. They did all kinds of things, and one good thing about it was that they did. They did a lot of people that couldn't fill the big room, but who were good musicians, but nobody knew them. So all these people that we didn't really know, or we'd heard tell of, or who was an opening act, but you couldn't get over there in time, had a little shows on, online the whole time. And it was really great. And there was a woman, what's her name? She's in Durham, and she has something called Carolina Wave, and it's all hip-hop. And I, I had met her, but I can't think of her name. She was so fabulous. She did a series of shows that were out of this world. You know, I never would have seen any of that stuff, probably. And, um, and then... Um, they did they did a, a, a an online album called Cover Charge, and all, a lot of the of the bands that were fond of the Cradle all did covers of songs they liked, and uh, and that all the money from that went to the Cradle, and that, that was a huge success. Apparently, that helped them a lot. And when these these online events, you just you know you just on Venmo or whatever, just pledge five bucks a night, you know, or whatever you could afford to that night, and some of the money went to the band, and some of it went to the Cradle, and so that's they just sort of slug through somehow you know. and and as many as many venues did some did not survive some, but we were lucky here the cave made it 506 made it yeah, yeah that's amazing it is amazing but this is a music town people here right sort of rose to the occasion you know so i i would love to kind of ask you do you have any more books in the works do you well, have anything that yeah. <laughs> so i don't know like everyone else i kept hitting these motivation walls during the lockdown my first thought was, oh yeah, I've got, I've got. If you you saw my office, is that, that that's at least two cookbooks sitting in those piles on the thing. You know, I've got the stuff there; it's all written out. But I would just run out of steam. I also was thinking about a memoir about my staff, and I started on that a long time ago. Oh, I'm sorry, I started on that a long time ago. But um, the situation kept changing; and it kept getting getting less and less entertaining and funny, and 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 more and more serious. And so, I have many essays about my staff and working with people from Mexico and going to see them in Mexico and stuff. And I'd, I'd like to throw that together into something, but I don't, uh, my, my agent publicist has, um, retired and I'm 73 years old. And I don't want to, 
I'm not in the, I don't have the energy or the interest, honestly, in starting a new relationship. So I've got to figure out how to do this. Maybe self-publish. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what to do. But yes. <laughs> that would be an interesting cookbook, uh, the stories that you have um, based on your time in the kitchen there with, with yeah. your friends and family, so yes. to speak. No, and no, then recipes lots, lots of angles. I, yeah. Well, actually, what lately I've been thinking about maybe hiring. I've done this before, and it worked out good for me. Just hiring a, a freelance editor to sit here. Tell me what you think in a week, you know, you know, <laughs> and just, you know, give me some direction. And that that's helped me before to get stuff done. So, so, um, so when we were, um, when we were, uh, planning to work together, uh, for the Pinehurst event and it got, uh, canceled because of the hurricane, which is the one that wrecked that museum, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just, yeah, yeah it was uh -huh. a very unexpected, unfortunate thing. Right, yeah. Um, but I remember when you submitted the menu, uh, that damn pie yes. <laughs> was on the menu. I can't menu. go anywhere without it now. <laughs> okay, so uh, for a little bit of background, um, so this is a pie. What's the original recipe? How did it? How did it develop? How did okay, it come well, about? Okay, um, well, I'm not sure how it. I have an idea that um, um, there's there's um, and Bill calls it that damn pie. I call I, it, or, I, or that it, stupid pie. Sometimes uh, it depends. <laughs> It's, I, I made up the name Atlantic Beach Pie because I had to name it something, you know, to put it on the menu the first time I did it, right? So, and and, and Atlantic Beach is a town down down the road from where I grew up, where we would go in the summer, and there are restaurants there that serve this pie. So, anyway, um, I'm guessing it has something to do with lack of electricity and refrigeration, uh, because you use condensed milk and eggs and butter that don't have to be refrigerated, or they did, people didn't use to refrigerate them; they do now, but. Uh, <laughs> But once upon a time, they were always sitting out, you know, and then canned milk. And everybody had a stove so you could cook. And I guess you had to eat it right away or something. I don't know. But anyway, so it was just one of those things that all the rest, all the little seafood restaurants out on the beach had some version of this pie. And it always had cracker crumb crust. And then it was like, it was like a key lime-ish sort of filling, right? And we grew up with it. And it was really good. And we always looked forward to it. And then I didn't think about it for 40 years. I moved away from the coast. I came up here to live and, you know, Rarely got home and, and all this stuff. And and the Southern Foodways Alliance was coming to eastern North Carolina for a field trip one summer. And it's known for barbecue down there. But they asked me, because I'm from down there, if I would do one dinner that wasn't barbecue. And I said, oh, yeah, cool. And, and, and Sam had seen him again from the Blue Point up in Duck were in on it with me. And I, and I was thinking, I oh, remember that pie was so good. We loved so much. So I got some church cookbooks and I called around and I found there's, every, there's a bunch of different versions of it. And so... The day that I made it, and this is crucial, <laughs> I had salting crackers at my house, so that's what I used. That was that, that was, is cru it is crucial. No, but that is also a source of of, of conflict, which I'll tell you. Oh. Right? So anyway, so I made it. Um, I, I put I, I just played around, got a recipe that seemed to work, made it with salting crackers, and, <laughs> and it was really good. Oh, this is great. Okay, so I made it for the uh, for the event, and that was ten years ago, maybe maybe not even that long ago. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And I thought, God, this is really good. And it's really easy. I'm, I wish I remember this years ago. So I'm going to put it on the menu at Crooks, right? So, okay, right. So I did that. And then, um, uh, who was it? Um, Katie Workman, the cookbook writer came to dinner and she was a friend of friends, she had friends here in town and she said, Oh my God, this is fabulous. And so then she told her friend, Melissa Gray, who's a producer at NPR. And so they wanted to, they did a piece on it on the news. Well, that was, that was the end. Of, I mean, they went 
But it had also been it had been in uh, our state magazine, I think, about the same time. And in Southern Living, in well, New, that, that, New York that was, Times. That, that, was, that was yet to come. This <laughs> yes. Was the, but yes, it was in everything. But so anyway, then it just it went nuts. And so, uh, but then I started to get blowback, and it was like, down here we use Ritz crackers. We don't use saltine crackers. This is people down on the coast. And well, this it's, it turns out that's not entirely true. There's Ritz crackers. Captain's wafers, saltine crackers, or oyster crackers. I've, I've since discovered. So um, anyway, so th- this this is, and then and then I didn't put meringue on it because in a restaurant, you know, mer- meringue shrinks after a day, right? So it sweats, and so it's it's not practical. But it, so I was using whipped cream. So then it was like I got these. It was in the Charlotte Observer actually. What are you are you wasting? Are you throwing out those egg whites? You know, are you wasting all that food? You know, why didn't you leave well enough alone? It was fine like it was. Blah blah blah. So this <laughs> went on for a while, and <laughs> finally terminated when this museum fundraiser um this museum fundraiser that i was talking about earlier um the 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 the, what started it was i was challenged by the cooks of harker's island to put my pie against theirs and harker's island is down on the coast oh so they did the salt the the ritz cracker crust with meringue (laughs) and i did my version of it and because we were ladies and gentlemen so we said it was a tie but anyway i mean it was it was fun but it was like and like i said it's like uh, it's inescapable at this point if you pull it up on google you get 10 10 pages you know so and literally just about every publication any kind of food list or publication Uh uh-huh so will you ever get tired of making well, it? No, I don't know. I made one for you. <laughs> he you did. Know. He made one for me. No, I, <laughs> and actually, these, this fundraiser I'm doing uh, in a few weeks, they actually wanted um, banana pudding. And I was shocked. And I was glad because that's easier. I mean, you can, I can make a big pan of it. I don't have to do a, a million pies. So but, so that's this is a first. Maybe maybe it's finally run its course. But anyway. Oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's, it's flattering that people like it. And, and uh, uh, everybody's... Uh, People, restaurants all over everywhere call me and say, do you care if we do that? And I don't know. Take it away. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Have at it. Yeah, please. Better you than me. It's like, but no, I don't know. It's just, it's sort of funny and amusing. At least it's easy. I've had to make 10 million of them. So yeah. it's, it's one of the easiest things you can do. So Well, we're getting ready to, to taste some. Yes, and <laughs> um, I tell you, this has been a treat, um, being welcomed into, into Bill's home and, and seeing his life and getting to talk to you. Thank you so oh, much. Oh, not at all. It's a Thank pleasure to, so I'm glad to see you again. Yeah, I forgot awesome. we went back all the way to Alabama like that. Yeah, <laughs> and, and at, uh, you know, uh, there might have been some Southern Foodways Alliance, yeah. something before even that. So yeah. um, it's great to see you yeah. again. And um Thanks for listening to HRN on tour. You can find all of our programming at heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.